Do you feel like the pace of life is sort of out of control? Do you feel overwhelmed and exhausted and powerless to do anything different? Are you feeling tired of all the running around? We are addicted to busyness. We live in a time and a culture that does not seem to respect the need for limits. We choose to fill our time and then feel like we're trapped by our calendars. And it is killing us socially. But what if there is another way, an ancient teaching that could change our lives? I'm Matt Lenahan, and this is the Koinonia 21C podcast. I invite you to listen while walking or hiking in a natural setting that you enjoy, a place that connects you with creation and the creator of life. This week, we're going to pay attention to sacred rhythms, the rhythms of rest and work, of worship and prayer, of activity and stillness. We're going to talk about the gift of Sabbath, that biblical rhythm found in the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, why Sabbath is is as important now as it ever was, and how to live a Sabbath day every week. And I confess that I am really bad at observing, maintaining and sustaining healthy spiritual habits or sacred rhythms in my own life. I know what to do, but I just don't do it. I want to cultivate daily and weekly spiritual habits because they are important to well-being, to my vocational identity as a spiritual leader and a pastor, and to my public leadership in matters of social justice. But I fail over and over again almost every day and every week. I know that I want to sit down and do some spiritual reading, maybe read something from the Bible or a spiritual writer. I want to spend time in meditation or prayer, but I can't seem to fall into a regular habit or rhythm. It's partly why I'm doing this podcast, which in and of itself is challenging for me. I am somebody who is easily distracted and has a hard time establishing a schedule or a calendar. So making sure that I complete a podcast every week, a meaningful podcast, meaningful to me, but I think more importantly, meaningful for my listeners whoever you might be, is really hard for me. It's part of, I think, my own spiritual learning at this point in my life. I suspect that most of us live out some natural rhythms and that we fall into bad habits and arrhythmic patterns as well. I mean, there are some rhythms that seem so natural and obvious that we don't even think of them as such. The rhythm of night and day, for example, hours of sleep and hours of wakefulness. There are mealtime rhythms and weekly rhythms that include work or school days and days off, weekends for recreation or for accomplishing all the household stuff you can't do during a work week, cleaning, going to the grocery store, you know the drill. 
There are seasonal rhythms governed by the lengthening or shortening of days. There are special days, holidays, vacation time. Maybe there's a fixed annual vacation you look forward to every year going to a special place, for example, with your family. But I also wager that you struggle to maintain a healthy rhythm in your life. We live in this 24-7, 365 culture that is always on, always running, always moving, always expecting us to produce and consume, always demanding something from you, from your time, your money, from your hearts and your minds and your bodies. I suspect that uh, there are times when you feel like you don't, you can't control your daily and weekly life. There are disruptions and distractions and interruptions that make it difficult to pause, reflect, spend a moment perhaps in silence or in some form of meditation to sort of recenter yourself to remember who you are as as a human being as a child of the creator the living god i also know that it is in some ways a privilege in our social situation in life uh, to to take time, to take time for uh, a Sabbath or a rest day or, uh, or even a moment in your day to, to breathe. There's some privilege that is now sort of attached to that. I'm also keenly aware that for many of us, uh, even considering a, a kind of regular routine or rhythm to your, uh, to your life is hard. I can't imagine, for example, what it must be like to to be a a shift worker whose shifts are constantly rotating. A neighbor down the street is a a state trooper. And I remember um, that uh, for many years, uh, the shift that he was working on patrol changed every few weeks. He would go from an overnight shift to a morning shift to a daytime shift and back to an overnight shift. And it was really hard. For him, physically and, and mentally, and I think for his family too. And I know there are, are countless others, shift workers, who are working in hospitals, nursing staff, other staff, doctors, uh, and certainly many other people in our community, and maybe you're one of them, whose work it demands uh, that you don't really have a kind of rhythm to your daily and weekly life because it changes so often. Maybe your, quote, day off changes every week. Uh, And maybe you're not even sure of what your schedule will be two or three weeks from now. That's exactly uh, why we need to think about this and consider ways that we can embrace the gift and call to Sabbath living. 
one of the sacred rhythms that have directed human communities for thousands of years, lost to most of us now, are the seasonal agricultural rhythms associated with tilling and planting, tending and harvesting crops. I grew up on a farm in central New York and know those rhythms pretty well. I've recently returned to those rhythms in the last five years as the director of a farming ministry called the Whittle Farm Growing Project, where I direct volunteers to plant and grow and share food to donate to food relief in Lancaster County. We are learning together to care for the land, to farm it sustainably, and to become food producers and to share the harvest with our neighbors. The rhythm of farm life is a sacred rhythm for me. One that I think all people need to experience somehow, but a rhythm that I think is becoming harder and farther away for more and more of us. I just returned from a huge gift of time, a 14-week sabbatical, in which I largely stepped out of the regular rhythm of full-time work to rest and refocus. I spent time working on my doctoral thesis, so there was some work going on, but I was it was not the same as the daily grind. This is my 20th year in full-time ministry. And I knew that if I was going to continue serving for 20 more, I needed a real break. It was for me sort of like my vocational or professional midlife crisis. And it was real. I mean, I knew that I was sort of wiped out. I was burned out. I was tired. I was weary. I was depressed. Uh, I was um, nostalgic in kind of not so good ways. Um, and I knew that the way I was feeling about people, uh, the way I was feeling about my work, the way I was feeling about the last 15 years, um, really demanded that I, that I take a real break. Um, I, for me, there was grief, unprocessed grief that had become part of, of my, um, my work. Uh, and I was sort of pushing through that unprocessed grief. Um, Father Richard Rohr says, pain that is not uh, transformed is transmitted. What he means by that is when we are holding in pain or grief and we're not allowing a transformation to take place in our lives that can free us from it um, and change us, then we transmit it, meaning that we we push it onto others. And that's where I was at. So I knew that I needed a real rest, a real ceasing from the daily grind, the weekly grind. And I'm grateful that uh, I'm in a privileged situation, and I know that I am, uh, that uh, I walk with and work with the people who were able to see what I needed and to, and to give that to me. Um, so I have a lot of gratitude for, for that. I'm also keenly aware that so many others do not have that kind of privilege but deserve it. We all 
deserve to cease and desist for a time, a week, a month, a season, in order to come back to our senses, to to experience something about life that is refreshing, uh, that recreates, that restores, that renews, that revitalizes and rejuvenates. There's no chemical, there's no, um, there's nothing you can consume that you can purchase or buy. There's no technology that can give that to you. What you need is the gift of time. And so how? How do we, how do we do this? How do we, how do we live into a sacred rhythm, a holy rest? Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, meaning to cease. And the concept or idea, the spiritual rhythm of Sabbath, is embedded in the Hebrew Bible and in the Jewish community's life together. In Exodus chapter 20, the first location of the Ten Commandments. The third commandment is the Sabbath day commandment, and it says this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. In Exodus, the Sabbath command has to do with creation itself and with the Creator God. God rested, according to Genesis chapter 1. Not that God stopped being God, but God imposed a limit to the use of power so that creation might not expend itself. If everything on earth gets used up, life cannot be sustained. Limited consumption limited use, limited activity, limited work, all for the purpose of sustaining life. If we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Hebrew Bible, we hear again the Ten Commandments listed in chapter 5. And again, the Sabbath command. But listen for the differences. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, the people are reminded that Sabbath includes all people, includes slaves and working animals, because they themselves were once enslaved in Egypt and God liberated them. Sabbath in Deuteronomy is an act of liberation, an act of justice that sets right conditions of inequity and economic bondage and hardship. Deuteronomy and Leviticus extend Sabbath from a weekly observance to a calendar of Sabbaths and even a jubilee year every 50th year that actually forgives debts, frees people from slavery and servitude, and basically gives all people a chance to live free from the effects of poverty caused by systemic long-term injustices. Not that this has ever been enacted, but imagine if all debts were canceled every 50 years. This is an early form of reparations that could and should be enacted in American life to address the four centuries of racist disparities that have prevented blacks, indigenous, and people of color from achieving broad economic progress. 200 years of slavery put the black community far behind, and they are still behind and have not caught up. 20, the 2020 Urban Institute report says that the median income for black households is $38,183 and for white households is $61,363. White homeownership is 72%. Black homeownership is 42%. The 30% gap is larger now than it was when race-based housing discrimination was legal. This is not right. And it is only one measure of the wealth gap between whites and black Americans. We need a sabbatical that erases these disparities because human dignity, equality, and liberty demand it. Now, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus both observes the Sabbath and somehow causes controversy by breaking some Sabbath limits and rules. He heals on the Sabbath, and his healing practice on the Sabbath is questioned and condemned by some other religious leaders, to which Jesus refers to 
Deuteronomy's version of the Leviticus or the Sabbath command, stating that Sabbath is made to liberate from hardship or harm. Jesus also picks grains on the Sabbath again to alleviate hunger. So for Jesus, Sabbath is not only about resting from labor as a part of the uh, the rhythm of creation, basically the way Exodus understands Sabbath. But Jesus understands Sabbath within the context of Deuteronomy and liberation, within the context of creating a more just and equitable community. And this is the kind of Sabbath, the kind of sacred rhythm that we want to learn to live into. If you'd like to explore more about the gift and meaning of Sabbath, there are two scholars and spiritual writers that have really been instrumental in deepening my own understanding of the Sabbath for what it's worth. And uh, the first is Dr. Marva Dawn, who wrote a book uh, in 1989 called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Ceasing, Resting, Embracing, and Feasting. I don't know if this book is still in print. I hope uh, that it is. I uh, am glad to have a copy of it myself. And in this book, she talks about really the negative um, aspects or the negating aspects of Sabbath and the affirming aspects of Sabbath or the embracing aspects of Sabbath. So she talks about Sabbath as ceasing, seeking from work, from productivity and accomplishment, from anxiety and worry, uh, ceasing from uh, our possessiveness or our trying to be like God. She also talks about resting, spiritual rest and a physical rest and emotional rest, intellectual rest and social rest. Uh, But then she uh, talks about the active parts of Sabbath keeping, embracing and feasting, she calls them. Um, And uh, these are the parts of Sabbath keeping, the parts that are not about prohibition, but about taking up um, aspects of life that often we uh, don't get to or we have to ignore because uh, we're too busy with other things. Uh, The embracing and the feasting parts of this book are really, uh, really wonderful to read. Uh, Feasting with music and with beauty, feasting with food and with affection, feasting and festival, um, feasting um, with uh, community and neighbor, Uh, just really uh, a great and different way, an alternative way of um, embracing and thinking about about Sabbath, not so much as being prohibitive, um, a, a discipline of prohibition or limit, but Uh, a a discipline, a way of life that opens up uh, possibility to you in in ways that may not be, you may not be free uh, to experience because of the busyness of life. And the other uh, uh, writing and scholar is uh, Walter Brueggemann. And uh, Walter, Old Testament scholar, wrote a book a couple years ago 
about Sabbath called Sabbath as Resistance. And um, uh, let me just read part of that for you. Uh, It's also a fantastic read and understanding, deepening your understanding uh, of the power and significance of Sabbath. He writes this, In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement amid the barrage of seductive pressures from the insatiable insistences of the market, with its intrusion into every part of our life from the family to the national budget. In our anxious society, to cite a case in point, one of the great seductions of Pharaoh is the fact that soccer practice invades the rest day. Families, largely contained in market ideology, think of themselves as helpless before the requirements of such commitment. In context, it requires enormous communal resolve to resist the demand. But Sabbath is not only resistance, it is alternative. It is an alternative to the demanding, chattering, pervasive presence of advertising and its great liturgical claim of professional sports that devour all our rest time. The alternative on offer is the awareness and practice of the claim that we are situated on the receiving end of the gifts of God. Obviously, both Dr. Dawn and Walter Brueggemann understand Sabbath to be much more than a day off or just time uh, set apart for self-care or Uh, personal business. Uh, Sabbath has to do with a restoring of relationship with time and with the God who gives us time. That's why I think uh, exploring the gift of Sabbath is so important because it helps us to be reoriented in our understanding of time. Honestly, it's not the anxiety and acquisitiveness of a consumer life that requires work that is distracting us or disrupting our spiritual walk with God. It's the other way around. God and the life of the Spirit is the distraction, the disruption, the interruption to our lives, and always has been. That's the thing. That's what the Bible says. To be human is to act and to work and to play and to acquire and consume and to feel anxieties and pressures. That's normal. The weirdness is the religious encounter, the burning bush, the voice in the wilderness, the answer to the prayer. What's strange is that we mark time at all and that we believe that time itself is somehow sacred, a way to experience something greater than ourselves, to experience God. God is in time, if not in space. Time becomes a way that we experience God's presence because we have this sense because of memory and possibility, because of the way we think about time. We have this sense that there is a kind of timelessness or eternal quality that in our finitude and in our limited lives, we don't 
get to experience, but something or someone must. And that someone who experiences the unlimited quality of an eternal timelessness is God. God is in time. That is why Sabbath keeping daily and weekly and seasonable, seasonal spiritual rhythms matter. They become these thin spaces like windows or doorways into the life, the eternal, timeless life of God. Through the setting apart of time, we let God in. We welcome the disruption. We experience the possibility of divine presence, the eternal entering into imminent nowness. And we notice that the intention is well-being. It is shalom. It is wholeness. It is love. We are more than automatons, more than slaves, more than consumers, more than another animal taking up space and energy. We matter. It may be that the gift of Sabbath reminds us that we do. It's why the commandments don't say observe or keep the Sabbath, but remember it. To remember is to be remade reformed, to be put back together again. And that's probably what we all need to remember, to be remade and reformed, to return to ourselves and to the one who made us. This week, our spiritual habit is Sabbath ceasing. I invite you, I encourage you to let one day be a day of ceasing and resting. Declare it your Sabbath. It could be Saturday or Sunday or any other day. For me, Sabbath has been Monday. Let the rhythm find you. Cease from eating junk. Cease from TV. Cease from laundry. Cease from the have-tos, whatever is on your list. Cease from online shopping, if that's a thing. Cease from email replying or Facebook posting. Just cease. Embrace a time of rest and of recreation, of recreation. You might be saying to yourself right now, I can't. I shouldn't. There are too many other things demanding my allegiance and attention. But what if you began to believe that your health, your longevity, the possibility of you being your fullest and best self required that you cease and desist? Like I noticed in my midlife vocational crisis. During your time of ceasing, take up some kind of spiritual reading or writing or music making or walking and listening to the birds in the breeze or, you know, spending a moment with your pet. Whatever you do, let it be an intentional opening for God to come to you. Walter Brueggemann has written prayers And in one of his books called Prayers for a Privileged People, he wrote this. We have known forever that you call to obedience. 
that our obedience to your purposes brings well-being, that our departure from you may bring trouble, that life proceeds on a tight calculus of expectation and requirement, that in your awesome rule there is rigor along with generosity. We have set out to be your faithful people, and then we fall into an unintended brokenness. We know about alienation from you and loss. We know about shame before our neighbors and embarrassment in the family. We know about the will to hide and become invisible, and we are consumed by depths of remorse. When we are able, we come out of hiding long enough to face you. We know all the cadences of confession and repentance, and that we have no secrets not already known to you. We sense before you our deep dread of failure and our last shred of innocence gone. We ask forgiveness and wait. At times before your presence we wait a very long time as we know of your silence and absence in our bottomness. But we know more. We know of your unfailing love, your willing generosity, your readiness to remember our sin no more. And so, after shame before neighbor, after embarrassment within family, after dread before you, we wait and then eventually you appear, you reach, you speak, you touch. You give yourself to us without judgment after we have judged ourselves. You invite us to your presence, to the table of your feast, to your walk of companionship, to your mission of well-being. We take timid steps toward home and are welcomed. Now, in this hour of freefall, be your good self again. Meet us not according to our flaw, but according to your generous self-giving. Be our Christmas and start the world again. Be our Easter and draw us from death to new life. Be our Pentecost and breathe on us to begin anew. Be your full generous self toward us. We will begin again in obedience, and as we can obey, we will begin again in wonder, love, and joy. May you experience the gift of Sabbath, of ceasing and resting, embracing and feasting, of resistance and alternative to the anti-Sabbath rat race of hectic, chaotic, restless, anxious hours and days flying by without anticipation or attention. Life is too short and too precious to live that way. Next week's podcast, Reading the Bible as a spiritual practice. Why, how, when, what to read, what not to read, and how to read it. Private, personal reading of the Bible is a terrible American way to read the Bible that we should probably reject. So, dear friends, in your breathing, in your rising, in your walking, in your speaking, in your listening, in your working, in your playing, in your serving, in your sleeping, in your dreaming, in your coming, and in your going. May the breath and love of God fill you, body and soul.